0: for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so, thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. All right, you guys good? Hey, can you just give it up one more time if you've been here uh, for Bradley and that series that he brought the last three weeks that I thought was phenomenal? So I get antsy uh, when I've been out though, so I'm glad to be back. And just real quick, if you weren't here at the front end of the service, and I know many of you have kids, and. Uh, how can you get anywhere on time um, with kids? So I feel you, uh, if this wasn't my job, I'd be, be arriving right now. So um, I get it, but at the beginning, we talked about Bunny Bash this Saturday, and I just, off uh, what we just talked about being for the city, I just wanna remind you one more time, this is a great time to hang out, but it's not really why we do it. It's another great opportunity to communicate to our city, we are for them, no strings attached event. So take advantage of this and invite somebody who may be not ready to come on a Sunday and has maybe had a bad experience. This is the perfect time to go you should just, you know, bring your kids and show up. And then same thing with Easter, which is crazy. It's two weeks away. Um, but we've got four services over two days. And our whole goal when we started this church was to be a church for the city. And so this isn't about us. We're not just coming together to celebrate. Honestly, the message of Jesus doesn't mean a whole lot if it's just kind of a country club mentality where we get together and celebrate and pat ourselves on the back. This is about reaching people in our city that are looking for hope. And we believe that what God's doing through you is special. So I just wanna encourage you invite Bunny bash and then Easter weekend and I do want to make one encouragement if you're able and can move to the Saturday service or the 8:30 a.m. service and again, if you've got young kids they get up at 3 a.m. anyway, so that should be easy for you. Um, but last year we had overflow into the lobby and we have more people who attend um, a year later. so it's those services can be packed. so if you can help us that'd be amazing. but I just tell you we're praying for you. we're praying for you as you invite family members, co-workers maybe it's siblings and maybe they walked away a long time ago. They wanted nothing to do with this. And for some, this is going to be the moment where they re in a journey with Jesus, or maybe they see the church differently for the first time. And I can just tell you, as you invite, you have no idea what hangs in the balance, but if you get to be a part of inviting and then watching somebody's life change, I'll tell you by experience, a lot of people in here could say the same. There is something about that that changes you. And all of a sudden, what was like ethereal becomes personal. And to kind of, segue into what we're gonna talk about the next two weeks. What was kind of a church I attended suddenly in that moment becomes my church. Like it becomes unbelievably personal. So, the next two weeks, that's what I wanna talk about. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you can just sit back, you can pick and choose what you wanna apply, or you can just tune me out, or you can just look and you know point at us and call us hypocrites for the parts of this that we don't do, but you're not obligated to do anything in this series. But if you are a Jesus follower, this whole idea of the church becoming personal is a big deal. And here's my hope right up front, is that for some of you, you would move to this being something that you attend to a movement that you're a part of which is ultimately and originally what Jesus planned for. And here's what happens when anything becomes personal. It suddenly all of a sudden gets some of your time, it gets some of your energy, it gets some of your emotion, and ultimately it grabs your heart. Now here, if you've got kids, you kinda understand this. Um, anything that my kid gets involved in, it's kind of like my heart goes with them. So whatever they're invested in, I get invested in. Wherever they go, my heart kind of goes with them, either you know for good or for worse. Um, some of you, like your kid went off to school somewhere, um, you hated the Seminoles, and suddenly like you're rocking maroon colors and you drop $500 on gear. You didn't even like the Seminoles for good reason, but your kid's there now and you're invested. Sorry. Um, or whatever it is, man, like stuff that you you were not interested in at all, all of a sudden you're interested in. So a couple. Months ago, three months ago, whatever you, you pick it, um, I, I and I don't know if maybe you'll you'll recognize this about me or you've already pegged me um, when I say this, but I was not um, a big fan of the ballet at all. So if I were to make a list, if I you know ever felt like doing that of all the things that I would put over the ballet, root canal would go in there, like other stuff would go in there, like lots of stuff that I would do over going to the ballet. Now fast forward three months later after that, not liking the ballet probably maybe like borderline despising the ballet. If anybody invited me, I would unfriend them immediately. And suddenly three months later, I'm a massive fan of the ballet. Like I'm all, in fact, I'm fundraising for the ballet, just so you know. Like I'm all in, I know ballet terminology. I know the stuff that you wear. I am more versed on the different shoes that ballet dancers wear than you could ever imagine. Like I know so much about the ballet, why? Because I watched a video on YouTube and just suddenly got interested. That would be the weirdest thing in the world. My 10 year old daughter got involved in ballet, and now, like, I'm, I'm all in. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was dropping her off to the ballet recital, and I get to the door, and the ballet, um, you know, whatever you call them, I'm not, you know, that far into it yet, but the ballet instructor teacher, and she meets me at the door, and she's like, amazing, amazing night to be here because tonight is parent child ballet night where you get to do ballet together. Well, it would have been nice if you would have given us a heads up on that. Because mom would have dropped Brooke off, not me. Like, So I, for an hour, I did ballet. I did pirouettes. I did, I, yeah, yeah. No. No, you, you want to hold your clap, what I was going to say next. You, you would never guess this. but And I'm trying to be as humble as I can. I crushed it. I crushed it. <laughs> Like I was amazed at myself how good I was. So <laughs> my point is like a few months ago, not even on my radar, a few months later, all in. And that's just what happens. Like you, you have somebody where your heart is kind of an extension of you, like where they go, you go, what they're invested in, you're invested in. So all that to say, this church, if you're a follower of Jesus, can't really be your church if your heart isn't in it. It just can't. And and here's, listen, when I talk about anything with the church, because I kind of live in this world and I have lots of conversations with lots of skeptics and our church has made up a lot of that, I get the immediate reaction of some of you. Like, well, I don't want to be all in. I don't want it to have my heart. If you had experienced what I experienced in the church, if you had been let down by leaders the way I've been let down, if you had seen what I've seen. So I get all of that. I mean, right now, kind of in the West, um, the PR for the church, not great, like overall. Over-politicized very exclusive, very insular. I mean, all the things that that some of you have experienced, some of you got bumped out or kicked out of the church. So I, I get all of that. But I'm not talking about maybe what many of us have experienced with the church. I'm talking about the church that Jesus launched. In a lot of cases, unfortunately, there's a difference. I'm not talking about the church where it's like, hey, get your junk together and come. I'm talking about Jesus' invitation of come and Jesus can transform any heart before he transforms behavior. I'm talking about the church that was actually constructed for everybody every ethnic group, every race, every background, Every, every, no matter what you're coming with. I'm talking about what Jesus initially launched when he was on a hillside to go. My grace is abundant for everybody who comes and the church is supposed to be my reflection in any community, in any city. I want you to go rep me. And when the church is centered around that idea, the idea of Jesus where everybody is invited in and Jesus is the lead story, God can do something extraordinary through that. And the church is never gonna be your church if it doesn't have your heart. So real quick to back up, um, here's the thing though when we talk about anything related to the heart is you almost never hear anybody talk about um, directing your heart. Everybody always talks about following your heart. Now here's the thing that I I think you already know but I'm just gonna say it anyway, your heart is dangerous. And I'm not just talking about 16 year old you, I'm talking about 46 year old you, or 36 or 26 or whatever age you are. Your heart, following your heart led you into 24 months and no payments and 30% interest. And you wish you could follow your heart back on out of that, right? (laughs) Like your heart led you into stuff where now if you could go back, you would unmeet those people that your heart led you toward. You would undate some people in that season where you were just following your heart. Yeah, you just be honest. For some of you, and you don't need to say anything to this, you would unswipe some people (laughs) that you swiped right on because you were following your heart. There's some regret that you would like to rewind. I mean, following your heart can be dangerous. And here's what you probably already know because you have enough life experience. What your heart wants today, generally, your heart doesn't want tomorrow. (laughs) In fact, your heart doesn't want it five years from now. So following your heart, super dangerous. And so Jesus actually says, I want you to spend way less time following your heart and I want you to spend a lot more time managing the direction of your heart. And that's within your control. And by the way, attached to your heart are so many other things we don't think about. That's, that's the part of you that's your will, your emotions, your desires, all of that stuff that in a lot of cases leads to peace or no peace, fulfillment or no fulfillment, discontentment or contentment. So what you do with your heart, it matters. Where you direct your heart, it matters. Now, here's the other part of what Jesus said, though, that like, we're all on board with that. Like, okay, so tell me how. And then what Jesus says next, we're, we're not huge fans of. Because Jesus says the number one way, and this is Jesus, not me, the number one way to direct your heart has to do with your stuff, your treasure, your money, what you, ever, what you wanna put in that category. And again, that group I spoke to at the beginning that's kinda skeptical, you're like, oh, there it is, I'm out. And I get it. So here's, let me just give you a heads up because I don't ever want to be accused of being a shady preacher. At the end, just to confirm your suspicions, the application is every year and we do this My Church series, we called it Vision Series last year, we launch an opportunity to practice what I'm gonna talk about. We launch what's called a My Church offering over a four-week period. And it's April 23rd to give toward huge projects that are about moving vision forward to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a part of this, or you wanna be a part of this, or I'm not sure, this is our opportunity to put into practice what Jesus talks about. But before I get there, I just wanna speak to everybody else and i make fun of this every time i talk about anything with generosity but i mean it some of you come every week you listen every week you tune in on radio whatever it is and i talk about stuff and you don't do anything that i say and so just make this another one of those sundays if you're nervous all right you do it all the time because there's no obligation you don't have to do anything and if you're not a jesus follower you certainly don't have to do anything but I'm just, I'm just telling you, what God desires to do through the local church, even if it's hard for you to believe because your experience has been so bad, is extraordinary. And we can't really say we are for the people of our city and community if our heart is not in it. And I didn't make this up. Jesus said the number one way to direct your heart is your stuff. And it's not just about what it's gonna do in the lives of other people, which is significant. We're coming around that idea. But it's about what it has the opportunity to do in you. And I get it, you have no, for some of you have no reason to trust me. But I'm just telling you, this is not about something from you, it's about something for you because Jesus knew that what you decide to pre-decide on in regard to where you attach your heart in a healthy way, it at the end of the day is gonna determine your level of peace. It's gonna determine your level of fulfillment. It's gonna determine your level of contentment or discontentment with your life. And so if you're skeptical, here's what I tell you. Listen to me for the first two thirds and then I'll tell you when to tune out. Just don't leave because it'll be disruptive and then I'll see you next week for part two. So I'm giving you an out because the first two thirds may still help you and then you don't have to do anything with this. But here's how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, you still with me? Okay. For where your treasure is. This is a pretty famous verse. You may know it even if you haven't hung around the church. For where your treasure is, there your, what? heart will be also. Now, that doesn't mean anything to some of you, because you're like, whatever, Jesus said, I think Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not going to direct, you know, what I do and how I invest my stuff and spend my life. So I I get that. Here's why I believe this, just real quick. If you're trying to figure all this out, or you're listening via radio, and you're you're trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, the only reason I believe this is not because the Bible says, shockingly, maybe to some of you. The Bible would mean nothing if not for what Jesus did in history. I believe this because a dude predicted his own death Died, then predicted his own resurrection and pulled it off, and I believe anchored it into history. And the evidence is overwhelming. If you're a skeptic, don't start with Noah's Ark. Start with, did Jesus rise from the dead? And if Jesus rose from the dead, it validated everything that he said and taught. And so I don't take Jesus' word seriously simply because the Bible says. I take Jesus' word seriously because dude predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. And anybody who's able to do that, to be intellectually honest, you have to take seriously whatever they say. That's why we follow Jesus. So when Jesus says this, I'm taking it to heart because Jesus rose from the dead. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Meaning where your heart goes, your stuff automatically follows it. You don't even have to be a Jesus follower. That's just a life thing. And wherever your heart goes, your stuff goes, wherever your stuff goes, your heart goes, which can be positive and negative. So here's really the question to start with. Do you like, if you were to just in 30 seconds to evaluate your life. Do you like what currently has your heart? Or what's on the top three list of what has your heart? And here's how you know. What do you tend to worry about the most? And some of those things are good because I worry about my kids. They should be on my top three list. But but if you were to kind of make a list, what are the things you worry about the most? What are the things that you tend to be most anxious over? What's the stuff that gets your time and your energy and some of your emotion and some of your preoccupation? Jesus would actually say that that's actually the thing that has your heart or has a part of your heart. So here's the other side of the question. If you're able to answer, like, okay, what currently has my heart? The other side of the question is, are you good with that? Like, you should just ask that question to yourself at some point along the way in your journey, like, If I get to the end of my life, am I satisfied with the current trajectory that I'm on? Is this what I want to have my heart? Whatever you obsess over right now, is it worthy of your worry? Is it worthy of all of the time and the energy and the emotion and the preoccupation you put toward it? At the end of your life, when somebody summarizes it all into a paragraph, is this is this what you want? Is Are you satisfied with this? And Jesus would say, this is crazy. This is brilliant. Jesus would say, some of you are not clued into it yet, but you have the ability to not pray your way into a different direction. You have an ability to take control and redirect your life and redirect your heart because it's tied to your treasure. And wherever your treasure is currently, if you don't like it, you can redirect it and as you redirect your stuff and your treasure, your heart automatically follows it because where your treasure is, your heart, your emotions, your desires, your will tends to follow it. And then Jesus doubles down and he says this, no one can serve two masters. And again, right there, we're like, it's 2023, man. I don't have a master. And Jesus is like, well, hang on. Either you're gonna hate the one, you're gonna love the other. If you didn't know the end of this verse, honestly, it's shocking. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, is the shocking part, serve both God and the devil. I should have just done fill in the blank. If you don't know the verse, what comes next? Like, what is the chief competitor to derail your life? That's probably Satan. If you believe in a Satan. And if you're trying to figure all this out, you think that's weird and I get it. But the chief competitor to derail your life or to steal your peace or to lead you toward discontentment or get you to misalign with what God has for your life. Well, certainly that's something massive in terms of what's culture and it's all the evil people out there or it's the people who don't vote the same way as me or it's the devil or the Satan. And some of you equate people who don't vote like you like the devil or Satan. So whatever it is, like whatever's out there is the thing that has the potential to disrupt my life. And Jesus boils it down to this. This is the dichotomy. This is what is at work. War in you more than anything else. God, this is crazy, and your stuff. Greek word mammon, which just includes kind of everything. Your money, the money you have, the money you don't have, The acquisition you want, the acquisition that you're paying off, the stuff that you're pursuing, the things that you're concerned about, like it includes all of that stuff. And so Jesus will say this, your stuff is not wrong. We'll come to that in a second. It is not bad. In fact, a lot of the stuff that you're trying to acquire or pursue or you're concerned about, they're the marks of God on you. God's actually given that stuff to you. They're pursuits that God wants you to go after. But you just need to know this, even if you don't do anything with it. The chief competitor for your heart The chief competitor for your devotion is your stuff. Your preoccupation with the acquisition of, the pursuit of, your concern over, Jesus is like, you may not know it, but the chief competitor for your heart are all of those things. Now here's where like, we don't really resonate with this because immediately everybody thinks this is somebody else. You're like, okay, I get it. I, maybe I even agree with it. Um, and I've seen people like that, I know them, I could call them out if you wanted me to, but I don't, not me, I don't have a master and I'm not devoted to my stuff. Like there's people that are devoted to their stuff pretty off the rails, that's not me. You're like, I don't even have enough stuff. In fact, some of you are like, I wish Jesus would test me. Like just give me the test of enough stuff and just see how I do, like just, just try me right? But you're like, I have a truck with 300,000 miles on it. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a sophomore and have no money. Like I'm eating ramen noodles, everything. Like I don't even have enough to be devoted to my stuff. And Jesus steps into that to go, no, 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 no. This has nothing to do with how much you have. Because here's what devotion is in this context. Devotion is preoccupation with the acquisition of Preoccupation with the pursuit of. Preoccupation with the concern over. And you can seek to acquire or to pursue or to be concerned about whether you're at poverty level or whether you're making 250,000 a year. It doesn't matter. This is about devotion to. And if you were to measure, and a lot of us to measure our devotion to our stuff, like we measure devotion to anything else, we would have to maybe conclude that we are at least pretty devoted to our stuff. We are pretty preoccupied with acquiring, upgrading, saving, holding on to, concerned about, worried about time, energy. And Jesus would say, That's what you're devoted to. And just so you know, it has the potential to master your life. And so then the question is this, okay, so if it's not wrong, if it's not bad, like stuff and money and acquisitions and pursuits of, inherently, those are not wrong, so what do I do? Like, how do I avoid this? What's the next step? And I'm just telling you, man, if Jesus is right, if he really rose from the dead, what he says next, and maybe you know these verses, it's brilliant. Here's what Jesus says. This is the solution to the problem. It's not poverty theology, it's not go sell all your stuff, and that's not what Jesus is advocating. Here's what he says but what? Seek yeah, the, I, I, do two words, two bolded one. No, I didn't make it clear. But what? Seek first, but seek first, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Like he's not saying that you shouldn't care about your kingdom, you should. And you have a kingdom. You have a kingdom of where are my kid's gonna go to school and how am I gonna pay for it? I have a kingdom about a job I should be concerned about. Some of you have a kingdom about getting your kids a job that already graduated from school. You have things to worry about in terms of a house and retirement and your future. Like, he's not saying that you shouldn't be concerned about those things. He's gonna make that clear in just a second. You should. This isn't about competition, this is about prioritization. And what Jesus is saying is this is just natural somebody's kingdom has to come first. And whichever kingdom comes first is an indicator of what you're most devoted to. It is an indicator of what has your heart. It is not about competition. It's not about these even good things that God's placed in your life. It's about prioritization. It's about something has to come first. And what you prioritize determines your devotion and it captures your heart, or Jesus would say, according to him, what captures your heart determines what is most important to you. Not what you say is most important to you. What gets your devotion that by default gets your heart. That is what's most important to you. And Jesus says, I want you to worry about your stuff. We'll get to that in a second. But I want you to prioritize and seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And if you're not a Jesus follower, You can tune this out. You don't have to do anything with this. But if you're a Jesus follower, this is at the heart of our message. Like this is what it's all about. If you wanna know what God's other's first kingdom look like, watch Jesus who came to planet earth and in a culture of might made right and get yours and the gods didn't care about people. Jesus touched down on planet earth to go, no, no, I'm introducing a brand new kingdom, a subversive kingdom, an upside down kingdom that now says I'm a savior and I'm a king, but rather than demand you wash my feet, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm gonna do something different. I'm introducing an other's first kingdom. And if you wanna know what that kingdom looks like, watch Jesus. And if you wanna know what righteousness looked like, watch Jesus, who willingly and confidently faced down the cross and died the most excruciating death imaginable for your sake and for my sake as this ultimate demonstration to the world. If you want to know what God is like, and if you wanna know how God feels about you, watch Jesus who gave up his life for the very for the very people who had the opportunity of rejecting him. And now he says to the world, I'm inviting you into an other's first kingdom, into a different kind of righteousness where you go second and everybody else goes first because you serve a savior who gave up his life for you. And now he's ushering in a brand new kingdom for the sake of the world around you. And that's what you've been called to. And then within weeks, after that display of unbelievable sacrifice and love, Jesus is on a hillside after his resurrection. And he's with a band of misfits with no education and no money. And he looks them in the eye and he says, mark it down. I will build my church. And the gates of death and hell are not gonna be able to stop it. And it'll be dysfunctional through parts of history. And there will be the inquisitions and there'll be the crusades. And you'll meet some idiot Christians and you'll be let down by leaders and it'll be over politicized and it'll look nothing like what Jesus intended for it. And it'll lose sight of the fact that it is a message for all people, multi ethnic, multicultural socioeconomically diverse, multi-generational. It is a movement to the world. All of those things are gonna happen, but there is always gonna be a remnant that's gonna center itself around Jesus. And my church will last because I've promised that it will overcome death. It will overcome hell. It'll overcome the hell of the sin that you're carrying. It'll overcome the hell of dysfunction. It will overcome the hell of terrible Christians who have tarnished the name of Jesus. It will overcome the hell of addiction. Nothing. Is going to be able to stop my movement when it's on mission around Jesus because I promised I will build my church and nothing, nothing will stop it. And Jesus would say, Now, now I want you to be able to say, My church. Not because it's not dysfunctional, it is, but because I've given you something to do in your generation and in your community and and in your city to rep me. And whether you recognize it or not, part of me ushering in my other's first kingdom and showing people what righteousness really looks like was to be the church on mission in every generation repping Jesus. So Jesus would say, I want you to be able to come to the place where it's personal to you because Jesus would say, it's personal to me. I want what is important to me ultimately to become important to you. Because what captures your heart determines what's most important to you. And Jesus would say, as unpopular maybe as it is, if the church on mission has never captured your heart, your devotion, your priority, I haven't really captured your heart. Because here's the thing, you know this in every area of life, the direction of my heart determines ownership and stewardship, doesn't it? Like the things that I own, I tend to steward well, because it's mine. We've been given the baton of the local church in our generation. We have been tasked, whether you realize it or not, and I realize this is a tough message to preach in 2023 because I have been as embarrassed by some Christians in churches as you have, but we have been given the stewardship of this movement that Jesus said was the body of Christ in cities and communities. That literally, do, do you understand this? The church is to represent Jesus' body and Jesus' life. The the kind of church we should be is welcoming and accessible to every person imaginable, because that's what Jesus did. Pimps, prostitutes, and tax collectors, and whatever the equivalent of that is today, they should feel most at home in the church when we're being the body of Christ. It should be the safest place in the world for anybody struggling with anything. If you were ever disinvited from the church because of your struggle, you just need to know that looked nothing like Jesus. Because the people who were at the place where they were most desperate and most unlike Jesus, those were the people who were most drawn to Jesus. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's why I ticked off religious leaders and the pimps and prostitutes loved me because there is hope and there is grace in Jesus. And the church better embody that. And we should be bold faith-filled risk-takers because we serve a resurrected Savior. And we should be a church that is for everybody. Just newsflash, I say this about every three messages. We are not a church for a political party. We are not a church for one group of people or one ethnicity or one race. We're trying to create something that reflects heaven, which is everybody is invited in and everybody one day is gonna be worshiping Jesus together. A church that believes that Jesus can transform any heart and I don't care how far that heart has wandered. A church that believes that Jesus can overcome any addiction, that he can break the chains to anything that we're holding and that we've been dragging around no matter whether it's been a decade or not because Jesus promised, I'm bringing all of my resurrection power to the table when you come around me as Savior and Lord and I'm gonna build my church and nothing nothing, nothing, not death and not hell is gonna be able to stop it. And so I want you to be able to say with me, Jesus would say, it's my church with all of its dysfunction and all of its embarrassment at times. I'm gonna take the baton to own and to steward what God's called me to in this moment of time in my city, in my community for the glory of God. So every year, my challenge is that we would practice in a sense of redirecting our hearts toward the things that God cares about. And so again, you have no reason to believe me, but every year when we launched my church offering, formerly vision offering, like, yeah, it goes to practical stuff around vision to push it beyond normal operating expenses of just huge needs to reach people in this city, in this community, but I can't stress this enough and you don't need to believe me. My heart is that God would do something in you and for you. Like, Jesus is good. Jesus doesn't need anything from us. Like, Jesus is gonna retire well. Like, he's fine. The reason Jesus talks about this is because he understands what, what happens when we surrender at the level of what a lot of times is our perceived security and identity, which is our stuff. And he's like, when you are willing to surrender that to me, we can do business and I can do something extraordinary in your heart. So listen, if you're not a Jesus follower, you're skeptical at the church, you're new here and you're like, are you serious? Just come back next week for part two. You don't have to listen to the rest of this. Just don't leave, it'll distract me. But here's the opportunity we get to practice redirecting our hearts toward the things that we say that we care about. And I'll just tell you, we cannot say that we are for the people in our city if our heart's not in it. And so we launched the My Church offering. We're launching around four things this year. And honestly, I, I never really bat an eye around this or feel uncomfortable around it for this big reason. And I'm, I'm praising you around this. I talk about it a lot, but I can't help it. You guys are so extraordinarily generous. I mean, what we're doing today, For the City, we give thousands of dollars away every single month for the last several years running. And this will sound like a brag, but it is. You guys have given more money than any nonprofit in the greater Brandon area, according to the chamber. I mean, you give so much money away, our For the City offering. It's incredible. So it's easy to go like, you are doing something so significant in the community, but there's a couple things that we need to move forward between now and the end of this will be April 23rd, which will be our offering Sunday. The first one is a phase two of our CC kids um, renovation retrofit. And I'll tell you two things that one of these has just popped up that we hadn't really planned on. Um, our kids are growing at an incredible rate. So March and June are the lowest months of the year, um, attendance wise, just in terms of rhythm. And our kids just keep coming. I mean, a of you guys don't come in March. I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know if they're walking here, but generally young churches um, that are reaching a lot of young families, the, the equivalent of adult attendance on a weekend, will be about 25 to 30%. Ours consistently since January, a little bit before is 50% equivalent every single week in terms of the number because kids. That is off the charts. So, We were not planning on it, but we have to split rooms up and build walls and retrofit some stuff that we were not planning to do because we have to make more space for kids. It is growing at such a crazy rate. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is we still have a sound treatment we have to do with our kids. That building was not designed for what we do. Our leaders are incredible. It's not their fault, it's the building's fault but I got a chance to walk through there for several weeks when I was not preaching and we have got to do something about that soon because it is so loud. The decibel level in some of those rooms are, just, are crazy. So we gotta handle that. And I've said this over and over again, what's the faith of the next generation worth? Amen. We've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on our kids because the faith of the next generation is worth everything. And if they can avoid some of the trauma that we've, we've, we've experienced, and they can grow up loving the local church. I got up today, my six-year-old is like, I can't wait to come to church. That's everything. In fact, some, I've heard this from parents over and over again the last few weeks. They've come, they're pretty new here, and they're like, we can't miss a Sunday. And they say it kind of disgustingly because they, they wanted to miss a Sunday. we are like, we're not, we're not every week people but their kid will not let them not come. They just keep coming back. So we, we've we got to invest on that next phase. The second thing is we're upgrading our digital campus, which is um, lights, camera stuff. On some of our platforms, we grew by over 400% over this last year. Via radio, I know this is, many of you are not, tuned into this, but we reach thousands and thousands of people. The number one way that people are being engaged with our church is online first. In fact, many of you stalked us three or four or five weeks online before you ever came to a service. I would do the same thing. The reach that we are having is incredible. And every time since COVID, we've been able to upgrade it. We immediately reach more people. So this is all about moving further into our city and community. And the third thing is a big thing, and I really don't even have time to do this justice, but in January, February specifically, and now as we move into um, these later months in the fall, most of our services in those months, we were running over 80% capacity, which is kind of the magic number. Eventually, we will probably add one more service, and then the law of diminishing returns takes over. And so we had um, unbelievable space issues, pre-pandemic, if you were around here. We have currently about just under 2,500 people who are connected to CenterPoint regularly. And now post-pandemic, attendance patterns are increasing, which means we've grown year over year right now about 40% from last year on normal months. So in two to three years, we have to be ready and we have to do something. So our next phase of investigation is actually retrofitting because we want to be as cost efficient as possible and blowing out this whole building and adding a substantial number of seats and then building a new wing on our CC kids. This offering is not toward doing that, it's toward getting the initial plans and investigating that. And those of you who have not been around here, you don't know how quick this happens. We're watching attendance patterns increase significantly. And we watched this happen pre-pandemic where we actually got into crisis mode because we had no space. So we're trying to be proactive now knowing that we will not be able to build sooner than the crisis will be upon us again. And part of this is we need to be ready. And we need to begin to move this forward to get plans around what potentially that could be and where we could save a lot of money. And then fourth thing are the things that are not as sexy, but they're on here anyway, like new roof and things like that that nobody thinks about. They're like, well, I don't want to give toward that. But really you do, um, because if it goes unchecked, you'll care. So those things are big in terms of this, my church offering. So here's the deal. Our goal is not even amount. Our goal is Participation. And we're gonna see what God does. And I'm confident because God has provided every step of the way. And honestly, I'm serious about this. Part of this is I just want us to practice. I want people who've never really engaged in this way to go, okay, I'm just gonna engage. I'm gonna give one time. Don't give again. Just try it. See what God does. But it may just begin to redirect your hearts in ways that you weren't thinking and you weren't planning on. Here's the other, just real quick application. If you have never given, here's what I'd encourage you to do. You don't have to do it but I would encourage you give financially as a priority for one month. Just mark it on your calendar and be like, I'm done. That's all I'm gonna do. It's one month. Here's the day. I'm gonna do it till this day and then I'm out. Just do it. Give financially for one month. Decide rather than, you know, save, buy your stuff, your subscriptions, your thing, your whatever, you know, 401k, all that stuff is great. And then see if you have any left over and give that. Why don't you just try reversing that for four weeks Let's see what happens. For those of you who kind of give every once in a while, here's my encouragement to you, that you would potentially just give financially by picking a plan, like you have a plan. It's not, again, you get to the end of the year and you're surprised by how much you gave because you had no plan. You pick a plan, you pick a percentage, whatever that is, if you give 0.03% right now, maybe you bump that up to 0.05. Maybe you bump it up to one and get really crazy. Pick a percentage because what's big about that is as God blesses you, your giving moves in proportion to that blessing. And then thirdly, make it a priority. Just for one month, just go for for maybe one month. I'm gonna move this from the bottom, which is how most Americans operate, and I'm moving to the top. And it is a tangible, verifiable way of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. So 100% participation for those who are all in. If you're not a Jesus follower, Ignore me, I'll see you for part two. But for everybody else, and if you're on the fence, I'm telling you, I cannot encourage you enough. And I just wanna end with this because I think this is so fascinating in the scripture. There is only one area that Jesus teaches on where he actually invites us to test him. Do you know what the area is? It's our stuff, it's our money. Where Jesus literally is like, try me, try me, test me. And not in some ridiculous prosperity theology where you give one and God's gonna give 10 back. You live in the United States. Most likely you already got your 10. It's not that. It's not quid pro quo. God never promises any of that. But he does say, listen, I I want you to test me. Do it and try me and see what I do. In fact, the end of the verse I just read says this. But seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then many of you know this, this last line. And all of these things, will be added unto you. Not you're gonna get everything you want, but you know all that stuff you're worrying about? You know all the stuff that you're preoccupied with, the acquiring, the the upgrading, the, you know, whatever it is that's next, the time, the energy, the emotion. God's going, I want you to test me and try me that I can take care of both. And I want you to see what happens when you prioritize me ushering in my kingdom in my righteousness before yours. Because when you prioritize his kingdom first, he promises to take responsibility for all the rest. And here's what I almost promise will happen and some of you have experienced this before. God will do two things somewhere in this journey. The first thing is when you take God seriously in this area, he will inspire you toward a courageous act of obedience that's gonna grow your faith. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because some of you believe intellectually God can be trusted. Some of you wanna believe that God can be trusted. You've never taken a step big enough to know that God can be trusted. I kind of hesitate to tell this story so I've wrestled with myself both services, but I'm gonna tell it because I think it's relevant. But when my wife and I, along with a group of people, wasn't just us, but the group of people, were replanning and starting CenterPoint, just a small group, I remember really specifically him laying on both of our hearts at different times, the risk and sacrifice that it would take. And we wrestled with God back and forth and really came to the place that we needed to go all in in such a way that was a little bit radical, in such a way that we really couldn't explain it to our friends, so we just kind of kept it quiet. But we knew that whatever we called other people to do in terms of sacrifice and steps of faith, we had to be willing to take those steps ourselves. So we cashed out her 401K. I was in business and it it was decent for a while. I I gave away everything toward that that launch that I had saved up. It It was kind of a ridiculous move. It was insane move, humanly speaking. But we knew that if we were gonna go all in, it was the moment to try and test God to go, can you be trusted? And we believe you've laid this on our heart and we believe that you have something up ahead and we can't hold back. And I'm just gonna tell you, it's in those moments, and some of you have experienced this, you can hear all the verses in the world you want. You can have people teach you about it till till they're blue in the face. You can hear all about the attributes of the character of God. It is only when you take radical steps of faith that are beyond you that you get into a place where God reveals and you know he can be trusted. And that's what's coming for you. If you decide eventually to go all in, to go, God, I want you to have my devotion in my heart. And then the second thing you'll eventually discover is you will experience what it feels like to be instrumental in someone's decision to follow Jesus. And some of you are shaking your head because you you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you don't always see a one-to-one correlation, but if you've invested in Jesus' movement, his others' first kingdom, displaying his righteousness in cities and communities. It is hard to watch or listen to those baptism stories that grip your heart and not cry your eyes out. It is hard to watch like the last couple of weeks, literally dozens of kids place their faith and trust in Christ. It's hard to hear stories of agnostics who come in so turned off to the church, so turned off to Jesus, suddenly give their lives to him. Or you watched like several weeks ago when we ended our It's Complicated series and with tears in their eyes, watching adults place their faith and trust in Christ. I'm telling you, no market volatility is ever able to touch that investment. And so I don't know what God's gonna do. I don't know what God's gonna do through us. My dreams and my prayers are big because I know how big God is. And I know how big the need is in our community for people who need a different kind of church and they need to be connected with the hope that's found in Jesus. Why not us? Why not this season? Why couldn't God transform a city and community through us? Because we get the chance to imperfectly be Jesus to people who are searching for Jesus. And we've been given the baton of the local church in this season of our life. And I have no idea what God would do, but I know this, we cannot be for the people in our city if God does not have our heart. And I don't know fully what's at stake, but I know this is at stake. God's good. God's gonna be fine whether you go all in or not. In fact, you can keep attending here for a decade. We don't need any of your money and we'll keep pouring it into you and your kids and we'll invest everything we've got because it's not about that. It's about people made in the image of God who need a savior because everybody lives forever somewhere. And when you go all in, here's what I do know is at stake. Your heart What kingdom comes first? Your devotion is ultimately what's at stake. And so Jesus says to you, says to me, says to us, follow me, trust me, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and try me. And all of these things will be added to you as well. Would you pray with me, Jesus? I thank you for what you're doing in this moment. I thank you that even if a church has caused us to wonder or leadership has caused us to wonder or a bad experience has caused us to wonder, we never have to wonder about you. Anybody who dies for you, he's for you. And so I pray that regardless of maybe where this lands, depending on our background, is that you would just cut through all of the noise by the power of your spirit and that we would be able to somehow fix our eyes on Jesus and what Jesus is inviting us into and the fact that Jesus can be trusted. And so do your thing in us individually and as our, in our church, that God, our prayer, and I pray that maybe hundreds would join us in this, would be that God, we wanna give you our devotion. We wanna give you our heart and we wanna trust you with all the rest. And we pray this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?